and welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is episode number 28, which seems unbelievable to me, but there we are. It's a perfect number, mathematically speaking. Oh, there we go. I didn't <laughs> know that, actually. I'm not very good at math. Some of, it's the sum of its factors. There you go. <laughs> wow, Simon. <laughs> so educational already. Sorry. <laughs> Carry on with what we're doing. I've already disrupted the episode horribly. No, horribly, horribly interrupting. Classic style of us. Um, <laughs> we are, as always, hope, hopelessly out of time with everything. And today we're <laughs> going to be doing what should really have been a Halloween episode, in that we're going to talk about scary books. Do we like them or not? Um, and then we're going to two Persephone books, um, which are The Victorian Shades Long by Marguerite Lasky and The Homemaker by Dorothy can't remember her last name. <laughs> Canfield Fisher. Canfield Fisher, thank you. Um, and this is seems a random choice of comparison, but all will become clear. To us, uh, we hope. <laughs> to us, we hope, and then hopefully to you in consequence. <laughs> so there we are. So Simon, how are you? Had a big week. Yes. Have I had a big week? Oh, just the world has had a big week. Well, you've had a big week. Oh, yes, it was my birthday, wasn't it? I forgot, I forgot about that. I, you're right. I've turned, <laughs> I've turned the monumental age of 31, which um, is clearly so momentous that I completely forgot about it. I was I was um, very pleased that it came before the election because I, th- I think it's probably safe to assume all our listeners are in the same same state of shock and misery about Trump be- yeah. becoming president-elect. Um, but we'll come on to that more maybe in a bit i just want to first of all say sorry that it's been so long since our last episode and it's for the for the slightly dramatic but not really reason that i lost my voice <laughs> so we, we weren't able to record for a while because i was just whispering for a bit and then was very croaky and then rachel went away but we are back um yes. and raring to go fully voiced yes um but yes birthday election and I'm going to hair and why tomorrow oh lovely yeah for uh, any particular reason well slightly strange reason in that um, my housemate had never been to Hayan Wai and she went with her boyfriend last week whilst I was away with my brother celebrating our birthday in Wiltshire Um, and I was so cross that they'd gone to Hayan Wai without me that they agreed to go back (laughs) the following weekend (laughs) (laughs) so we're going again (laughs) lovely yeah and I do like I mean I've been maybe eight times I think and it's, it's my favorite place I think in the world how could it not be? All those second-hand bookshops. I've never been. Rachel, hi the to Hay and Why. Well, you know, if I had a car, then I would be zipping um, quite frequently, but sadly I'm currently carless. But when that day comes, when I have again wheels, yeah. then I will go. I mean, the thing is, I've only been to Wales once in my life. And it's, it's only, not a place, yes. I think, to go. It is only just into Wales, you know, but um, Cassie is very excited about the prospect of spending a night in Wales, having never done that herself either. Uh, but it is impossible to get to if you don't have a car. Yeah. They really I mean, nowhere has train stations. No. They just say, especially not rural Hereford slash Wales, apparently. So <laughs> is there not a train station anywhere near it? Um, I don't know. I think, I, there's certainly not one within walking distance. There might be. You might be able to get a complex system of trains and buses. If anybody yeah. to get to Hay and Y via public transport, please do let us know pop it in the comments or if anyone yeah. wants to chauffeur rachel there also. yeah please do i'd be very happy to be chauffeured that'd be lovely <laughs> but you've just been on holiday haven't you i have i've been to the lake district which was marvelous um i just was overcome by how beautiful it is it's lovely isn't and, it 
disappeared because the autumn colours were so vibrant. There seems to be a large population of acer trees in um, the Lake District, which means that the red is very vibrant, much like New England. Gracious. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And just, I was, every corner of the road, you just turn and there's like another mountain or another lake and it's just beautiful. It yeah. seems like it's not England, but it is. Yeah, if Hay and Wye were not my favourite place, then it would probably be somewhere in the Lake District. It is it's so, so stunning. It is, and I really did feel like I could live there. I feel like it's a really inspirational place. Did you write any poetry while you were there? I didn't, um, no but I, you know, I thought poetical thoughts. Of course. So, yeah. <laughs> um, what are you reading at the moment? Well, I'm actually reading a book for university at the moment, so it's Mary Barton by um, Elizabeth Gaskell, which I did read for my degree, but that was many years ago. Um, and I'm, you know, currently at the point where I remembered how depressing it is. Uh, I've not read that one. I, I, I read, but I've only read Cranford and Wives and Daughters. Yeah, I mean, you're not really missing out on much, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just kind of a bit poor and it's all a bit relentless, but it's very well written. I'm enjoying it, but it's just, you know, kind of this week with everything that's been going on, I thought this really isn't helping the mood <laughs> about the general misery of mankind, but, you know, never mind. Never mind. And what about you? What are you reading? Well, um, partly to distract myself from the terrible state of the world, um, I have retreated to a non-fiction book about girls' boarding schools in the 1930s and 1970s. Um, It's the latest book from Slightly Foxed, and I believe it's their first new book, so it was written specifically for them. Oh, right. Um, That may not be true, but let's say it is. Um, It's by Ascender Max Tengrayan, who is also... Now I think about it, written two other books that might be new for them. So maybe she's just the person who writes new books. She wrote a biography of Jan Strather, and, and she wrote something else about um, another a specific boys' school. But this is, yeah, it's really, it's just really fun so far. It's um, it's mostly done through interviews with lots of um, old girls from various different schools up and down yeah. England, or possibly the UK, um, and uh, it looks at them. Um, all together in the sort of stages of going to school, I guess. So there's a, the first bit is on how how do people select which school to go to. The second one is like arriving as a new girl, and then and that thing that's as far as I've got actually. But it seems to be going okay. on in that way. And it's just it's just, I mean, it confirms in my mind that going to a, a boarding school sounds like hell on earth. But it's also just really some, somehow at the same time very charming and comforting. Well, that sounds lovely. Yes, I'm just the thing to read at a time like this. Absolutely. Yes. Um, other than that, I am reading an enormous biography of Shelley Jackson. Um, oh, yes. is that new? It is new, yeah. It's by Ruth Franklin. I've, I've not read the previous biography of Shelley Jackson that I bought by Judy Oppen- Oppenheimer, but um, but I've moved around to the new it one. One day, one day, one day. I've got to compare with this one now. Oh. Um, well, that's yeah. an interesting choice, seeing as we're talking about scary books today. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, look at that. That's what I say, Gwen. Um <laughs> Scary books. Yes, Shelley Jackson, I suppose, is renowned for... I always think of them as being more gothic than scary, but um, have you been scared by reading her books? Yes. I remember I read <laughs> them on. when I... I mean, I read them in when I lived in New York, and I, I found them very... Dis- I found them scary in a disturbing way. Hmm. Not as in, like, you read it and you feel terrified, like you would watching a scary film, but in the sense that you don't know what the characters are capable of. And there's a real darkness about them. Oh, okay. So is that in all of, in all of her books you've read, or particularly any of them? 
I've read The Haunting of Hill House and the other one like that, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> we've always lived in the castle. Yes, we've always lived in the castle. And I found both of them, you know, disturbing. And I, I found them scary and I didn't know what was going, going to happen next. And I got to points where I didn't actually want to turn the page because I, what I was anticipating often turned out to be more frightening than the reality. But, um, <laughs> You know, like when you're set, she sets up this atmosphere of unpleasantness and characters who seem very unpredictable, and there is an element there of you don't know which way they're going to go. If you see what I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I there's that very memorable bit in um, in the haunting of Hill House where the woman thinks she's a with. I can't I say memorable, I don't remember any of the details. <laughs> the woman thinks she's uh, um, holding the hand of someone in bed and then the lights come on and she realises there's nobody in bed with her. Yeah. That, that was quite a scary moment. Um, but yeah, I think I th- it is that sort of sense of foreboding and claustrophobia in her books that, um, that I find extremely effective. In well, I guess just those two books, actually. Um, yeah. It's not all of them. A lot of people think that she's just a scary book writer, but she's actually not. Yeah, her books, um, Raising Demons and, the, and Life Mama Savages, which I've probably mentioned on here far too often, are just really <laughs> charming and funny. Um, and The Sundial is quite, at times, a bit scary because it's dealing with the apocalypse, but also mostly just really funny. <laughs> <laughs> it um, is about the end of the world, but you know. Yes, but you know, you've got, to, got to smile. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, um, you know, she's. Is a kind of she reminds me of Henry James in um, Turn of the Screw in that there is all that question as well of what is real and what is imagined and it's up to you to decide really. So you could make the book scarier than it actually is if you want to make a decision that that the supernatural elements are true or you can decide that it's all in somebody's head. Which of those do you find scarier? Oh, interesting question. I think it's more frightening when somebody's lost their mind, really, because also then you start thinking, well, you know, what can I believe of what I've read? And it puts a real, pulls the rug from under your feet as a reader because you think, well, if it isn't supernatural, then this person is an absolute insane person and I don't know what they're going to be capable of doing. And that's, you know, especially in the... I've read it a few times because each time I think, oh, if I read it again, I might be able to kind of figure out what he really wanted us to think. And I, I do think he, he wants you to have that ambiguity and not be able to work it out. And I keep thinking that like, if this, if this governess really did just imagine all of this, you know, she's insane and she could have killed those children. And that's frightening. I really must reread out of the screw because I, I read it. Um, I've probably said before, I read it a weekend when I was reading, lo- reading lots of novellas and I read that one between 10pm and midnight and it just, <laughs> that is not a time for Henry James's sentences. No, <laughs> I actually saw The Turn of the Screw as a play. Um, it was on at the Almeida Theatre a couple of years ago and it was terrifying. Okay. Um, and But they very much pushed the interpretation that she had imagined it. Yeah, I feel like that does, that's probably the way I landed, but, um, yeah, and I agree with you, that I think that's scarier. I think because I don't personally, you know, believe in this, in ghosts and all that yeah. sort of thing, um, 
uh, it's not one of the things where I'm really thinking, oh my gosh, this could happen. It's why I find books about, you know, murderers or um, much scarier than about, you know, if, if they're trying to be scary. Obviously not like an yeah. Agatha Christie. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, things that I believe could happen to me, I find much scarier than reading about werewolves or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, um, I mean, at the same time, a lot of those things like, vampires things I don't read about just because I'm squeamish <laughs> I guess back to our previous episode <laughs> where we were talking about whether or not to give up on things I'd give up if there's any any gory description about murder supernatural or otherwise <laughs> but, yeah. um, um, but I think there's, there is a difference isn't there between being put off because it's unpleasant and, and being scared yeah and I think um, a lot of the time unpleasant stuff isn't scary it's just unpleasant Yeah. Um, like I, I've never felt scared reading a book about a murderer for example but about um kind of it is things that where i find it's the psychological mm. element of things that makes me frightened i remember probably the most frightening frightened i've ever been reading a book was when i read the woman in black mm. by susan hill and it got to the point where i was too scared to turn the page because <laughs> i going to do something and i don't want her to do it and it was so frightening and then I saw the play and it was terrifying as well and that is still on in London so if anyone wants to see it it's always running actually but I mean that is a terrifying book and she is a terrifying character and I think it's because of the fact that she poses danger to children I think whenever someone's threatening a child I find that terrifying because that's evil isn't it yeah (laughs) um and yeah that that book I've heard so much about that being just really terrifying and play have you not read it from. no and that's why i think I, just, uh, I, I mean i definitely don't want to go and see a scary film or play i think this, that just horrifies me the idea, horrifies me. <laughs> the idea of um yeah i would never go and see a horror film um no i can't i yeah. can't have horror films um and so yeah my, in fact, my parents went to see the woman in black um and i was speaking to like on, as a film um yeah. and i was speaking to them the day they were going um, and mum didn't know what it was about or even that it was horror. I was like, mum, you know it's horror, right? <laughs> and, dad's, <laughs> and dad's like, oh no, it'll be fine, because dad's not scared of any horror film. Um, and she was, she was petrified by it, it turned out. <laughs> Obviously you didn't do that. Yeah, my, my, my dad's view, which is a very sensible one, but not one I'm able to embrace, is that it's fiction. It's not scary. Okay, not scary. <laughs> which, um, but I can't separate yeah. myself. Yeah, I mean. I get so involved. And it's, I think, and that's why I find, t- TV and film scarier than I do books is what mostly gets to me is the music. Um, yes. particularly if you've got that sort of like, you know, heartbeat sort of, not the theme tune to heartbeat, that's fine. <laughs> but the, where it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, the da da, da da, da da thing going on and tension building and all that sort of thing. And I'm, even yeah. if it's not a scary scene, if it, even if it's just a tense scene, I'm just clutching a cushion and just can't cope with it. Trembling <laughs> in the corner. Exactly. I'm complete words is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, oh, you're good company because I am too. <laughs> but with books, um, when we talked about Sarah Waters thing, I really loved The Little Stranger, but I found that completely terrifying. Yes, that is terrifying. And it's again, it's because you don't know the reality of mm-hmm. what's going on. Is it in somebody's head or is it really happening? And then the rea- if it is somebody doing this, that's the most frightening part because it's somebody who is either losing their mind or is behaving in a really evil way. Um, and is deliberately trying to make somebody believe that they've been possessed and things. And that is frightening to think that people can do that to each other. And she's really good at write, writing 
um, fear in Little Stranger. And I really wish that she would write more books like that. Yeah, um, she well, she was extremely good at it, and it was it was sort of like the, the music building tension, but novel equivalent. It was all the building tension yeah. is, and it in some ways didn't even matter what came after that. It was just it got got me so frazzled by the time that anything happened or didn't happen more more often. Um, but yes, she's very effective and very impressive. Um, I I think the reason I um, was thinking about this, other than Halloween, um, mm. which was around the time that I <laughs> messaged you about it. Um, was that I started reading and have either temporarily or completely given up reading um, Edgar Allan Poe's short stories. Okay. Um, so obviously I knew of them and I had read The Pit and the Pendulum um, back at school, but um, I had never read any of this and uh, got a review copy of it, thought that would be good. And I just, I don't know if it was the mood I was in, I need to go back to them, but I just found them quite boring. And not at all scary. And I'm, as I say, quite easily scared. Um, <laughs> and it was things like titles like The Fall of the House of Usher, um, or no, mine's gone blank, but, but quite a few names that were just really famous stories had gone down in, in our cultural history or American mm. cultural history, more, more to the point, I guess. Um, and I just think this is quite a, a sort of a mildly tedious, <laughs> slightly overwritten five page story about nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, they are they are in talks for that being the quotation they put on the next copy. <laughs> uh, have you read any of his stories? Yeah, and I mean I'm of the same mind as you because um, Gothic literature is very much on the curriculum, so I teach it a lot to students of varying ages. And I always think whenever I go to put together a story for a lesson, I'm like, some Poe, and then. Every time I, I'm just like this, the kids are going to fall asleep if I read them this. <laughs> um, and it isn't scary. And I think perhaps in the 19th century, that idea of um, the setting and the gothic nature of it and the um, sublime nature of the of um, the contrast between nature you get in his stories and other people from that time period um is enough to terrify people and the idea of entrapment and being in the dark and people outside i mean but now i think we're so desensitized to things like that and we're we've been exposed to so much more terror through horror films and things like that that i just don't think we find them scary and i think a big thing now in that sort of storytelling is always the twist and there's like Mm -hmm. clever and cleverer twists and and I found this also more with um, a read Richard Crompton wrote a collection of ghost stories or supernatural stories oh. um, called Mist, which um, was very hard to get hold of for many years. But it was recently republished by I can't remember someone, <laughs> um, and a friend of mine very kindly gave me a copy, and I really enjoyed reading them. And I guess that's where the difference is because they were they were quite you know they were quite entertaining, but all of them, the person you thought was evil or spectral or whatever at the outset was <laughs> and the good people yeah. were always good and there was never any never turned out the good person was bad or vice versa um so there's i think there is this lack of tension because reading that someone is you know possessed or demonic or whatever is can be unpleasant this wasn't particularly unpleasant but um but if if that's how they're introduced you're like this is the guy who has been possessed by his dead ex-lover or something yeah you're like, you're like sure okay and that's it. I think what makes things scary is that sort of carpet being pulled from under, or rug being pulled from under your feet, isn't it? Yeah, and you can kind of you can see it coming in those stories. I, mean, I think I do think the um, the Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe is, is quite good. 
Um, it's quite late in the collection, so I'll get onto that one later. Maybe. Yeah, I mean that's that's quite scary. In it's not scary because it, it's well, but it's it's kind of interesting. I think a lot of them are would have been scary to people before because of their moralistic element. You know, if you do this, this is going to happen to you, and it's like the the idea of punishment. I think that's the thing that runs through Edgar Allan Poe's stories is this idea that you're being punished for some sin you've committed. Um, and maybe it's that idea of, of sin and that element of fear that used to get people. But nowadays we're like, well, who cares? Yes, everything I know about the Telltale Heart comes from an episode of The Simpsons. So. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, I remember from the Halloween episode. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think those kind of gothic, and also a lot of gothic stories are the, is that everything that happens ends up at the end being rationally explained. So it's not really, you get to the end and you're like, oh, so really it was just a person with a sheet over their head. That's not scary at all. (laughs) Um, So it kind of ruins it all when you get to the end. And I think for me, the best scary stories are the ones that end and you have that uncertainty and you're like, what what did happen? What did happen? And you don't know. And that's what makes it terrifying because the possibilities are are endless. Um, And... Edith Wharton is actually quite good at writing stories like that. Okay. Yeah, I had, I, I don't know what I did with it. In fact, I'm really annoyed at myself for losing it because I sent it to a child or something and it's gone. Um, I had Virago um, published a selection of Edith Wharton's ghost stories and they are actually very good. Yeah, I didn't know she wrote any. Yeah. I've not read um, any M.R. James, have you? The name rings a bell. I probably have, but I can't think of any. He's the one who always comes up when people talk about classic ghost stories, um, it seems. Um, and what are they called? Tales of... Hmm. I'll put in the notes what they're called, but I can't remember now. Um, Penguin republished them a while ago, which um, is when I... Oh, no, Casting the Runes. Yes, Casting the Runes and other stories is the collection okay. that Penguin published. Um um, and I got it maybe ten years ago, so at some point. I think it's just... I'm, I, because ghost stories feel to me like they should be read at Christmas, like it all feels thing, or at least in winter. But also, I don't want to read them when it's dark. <laughs> so like, <laughs> when am I going to read them, Rachel? I don't. Never. <laughs> Never. Um, I did read some sort of supernatural stories by Mae Sinclair. Um, this collection is called Uncanny Stories. Hey. Um, which is, there? Well, there's one particular one, the um, called Where Their Fire Is Not Quenched, which is um, was really good, and that's about. Go back to what you were talking about, about guilt and Poe. It's about a woman who thinks she commits adultery um, and she is so haunted by this that in this sort of afterlife, she's wandering around. She's, well, she wakes up in the hotel where it happened and she and like when she tries to escape, she just keeps going back into a corridor that leads to that hotel. And then every, all of her other memories, like in the garden where she grew up or in the house she grew up or whatever she'll walk and end up in that corridor going to the hotel room where she committed adultery. And it's just, Ooh, that's it, interesting. it is really, it's again, I think it's that claustrophobia, like, like with, um, Shelley Jackson, that, uh, it's really effective. And I wouldn't say it was necessarily scary so much. It's maybe unsettling is a better word because I, I was never like, Oh my gosh, what's, um, I can't cope with this, but it was just really interesting psychologically. The rest of the, the stories are less interesting. They're still well, which is enjoyable, but that was just, I thought really, yeah, psychologically interesting. And I just love it when it... And again, go back to Shelley Jackson and Sarah Waters, they, they both do this, when it involves space, when it involves yeah. houses and things. I just find that so interesting, the way that domestic space can reflect um, fear or can impose fear or that sort of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that idea of entrapment is what makes me feel frightened. And I think that works really well in Rebecca. Mm, Daphne yes. de Maurier. Yeah. That is a genuinely frightening book because um, this is, what's her name? Danvers. Thank you. I love how you always know what I'm thinking. Um, Mrs. <laughs> We've been Danvers for too long, clearly. <laughs> is terrifying. She is absolutely terrifying mm, because, mm. again, you don't know what she's capable of. And that house and all this kind of mystery about Rebecca and who really was she and we never really know who Maxim was. Daphne du Maurier, I think, is amazing at writing terrifying stories. All of her short stories absolutely terrify me. I keep hearing that. And what is it? Don't look now? Oh, that's and, scary. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, so I've not read any of her short stories, but um, one day. <laughs> and again, she's one of those people that I don't want to turn the page because I'm like, something awful is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> And I think with Rebecca, it's that brilliant combination that it sort of does both... We talked about Rebecca already, haven't we, in another episode, but it's, um, it is that combination of two different types of fear, where you've got the whole, like, where is Rebecca? Is she still a presence here in some way? But also that very real fear of Mrs. Danvers, who is not supernatural, who is just a dangerous person. Um, and as you say, you don't know what, what she's capable of. Um, yeah, she combines the two really brilliantly. Yeah. And the Alfred Hitchcock film is so good, yes, <laughs> amazing. And so whoever plays Mrs. Danvers is very, is very, very. Yes, I can't remember who it was, but she is extremely yeah. good. Um, um, I'm just trying to think of scary books for children, actually, because I think as a child I used to quite enjoy reading scary books at night time. Well, I was obsessed with Goosebumps and then Point Horror. Yes, yes, I, so I was I. My so brother and I used to read them. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, we'd pass them on to... Well, because we used to share the bedroom for a while, so we used to sit in bed and read them together um, because we'd both... Well, I don't think my brother would have been scared, but I was. But I felt fine because my brother was in the room, so I wasn't scared. Um, when I went into my own bedroom, I didn't read them as, as much. <laughs> I had to lie there by myself. My brother used to enjoy playing tricks on me. We had one of those hallways where the, the balustrade goes all the way around, so you can go all the way around the hall. Oh, wow. And he used to stand on one side and shine a shine a torch occasionally into my room so I'd be thinking there was something out there and I'd be screaming my head off oh so cruel like, there's nothing there what are you screaming oh, like, there's a light there's a light and my brother would be like <laughs> 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 the kids boy oh dear yes um, happy childhood memories but I have to say I've just read um, a book a newish book it's called Uncle Montague's Tales of Terror by Chris Priestley who has won the Carnegie Prize he's quite a big children's writer and I was ter- I was going to to recommend it to I read it just to check whether it was too, uh, was was actually scary enough to recommend to the kids because I thought oh they're gonna think this is lame if I say hey guys I found this really scary book for you um, and I was so scared reading them. Oh, really? Um, I thought, oh, I can't get my, you know, year sevens to read this. They'll be terrible. They'll have nightmares. Uh-huh. It's a really, really good stories, actually, that are short. And, again, it's a, it's a story that includes that kind of Victorian element of guilt to it. And it's fantastic. I really recommend it if anyone wants to read something that's really disturbing. Right, gosh. <laughs> well, to read something with their children at bedtime, maybe. It's to good disturb them stuff. before they go Let's to sleep. Us, yeah. I'm terrified. Um, but it's, <laughs> no, that's really good. And there's lots of uh, Neil Gaiman likes books for children, like Coraline and things like that. Um, scary books are really good. Yeah, I don't think I'd be able to read Point Horror now, but <laughs> um, no. I certainly don't. 
I think I don't think I really remember what they used to be about. There used to be lots of books about babysitters. I remember, yeah. and like that kind of scream thing where you know you're home alone and you get the phone call. The call is coming from within yeah. the house. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think they were probably mostly to do with things that could happen, lots of murderers and things. Mm. Um, I remember Twins was one of them, in fact, <laughs> um, which. Yeah. Had, which you know played on the whole evil twin good twin trope, um, but the, <laughs> there were lots of twists at the end of those that I'm sure were entirely predictable, but used to have me completely like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. But um, but I think because I read them mostly when I was maybe ten, nine, ten, that I just wasn't um, that imaginative <laughs> that back <laughs> then, so I would not have been as scared for them. I just have gone through them, whereas now I'd probably be much more likely to have nightmares afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they were trash. I'm sure they were terribly written. But, but you know, they they did the jobs at yeah. the time. So, yeah. would you say that you actively sort of seek out books that are that have a creepy element to them? Do you enjoy reading them? No, probably not. Um, I think I actively would actively hunt out things that are slightly gothic or slightly surreal or something on yeah. the science but if something is advertised on it as scary particularly if it's a modern book but even with older books i'm much less likely to buy it than if it says like quirky or something that if, yeah. if it sells it that way how about you yeah no not so much like i know there's been a real rash of books like you know like gone girl and the girl on the train and those sorts of things that set horror within the bounds of normal life mm. um and i i tend to I don't read. I don't not read them because I think, oh, I'm going to be really scared. I I don't read them because I just think it's um, it's just a bit kind of manipulative, I suppose. And also, they're all a bit samey. I think all the plots are the same. You know, there's going to be twist in the middle. Um, be in the middle, sorry. A, a, a dramatic twist. Oh yeah. There's yeah. always a twist, and you're kind of waiting for it to happen, and then it happens, and it's like, all oh, right, okay. And I think because they're quite formulaic. Um, I find them quite dull, whereas I books that are more psychologically interesting. Um, and those books I do kind of seek out, actually, because I enjoy the challenge of, of having to decide for myself what I think. So books like Rebecca and like The Little Stranger and things like that, where it's left open at the end, I really do enjoy those sorts of scary books. Um, I don't... I prefer those rather than I wouldn't like to read scary books that are scary because they involve people getting chopped into pieces and lots of graphic horrible deaths. And there's so many of them, and people they <laughs> seem so popular. I just don't understand. No, I it. don't get it's, it. All yeah. those like modern detective stories where it's like, oh, and they found this body slashed to pieces, and then you know, like there's a serial killer who sends people's ears as a post and stuff. Oh, like, oh no. it's horrible. Why would I was, you do that? Uh, I was in the office while ago with someone was chatting to, so, to someone else to the other side of the room and talking about books he'd read. Um, and thankfully, I think I've repressed it now, but they, were, but they made it, they described something in one of the books and I was just going to get it out of my head for weeks and I hadn't even read it. It was just like a slight <laughs> description. It's like, oh, that sounds, just sounds so horrible. I would definitely, I mean, and I do tend to skip those sorts of bits in books as, as it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, as a draw. Horror so. is not pleasant, I don't think. I think you've got to be a certain type of person to... yeah. Maybe some are more thick skinned than us. And they often seem to just be like um, quite manipulative against women. It always seems to be a pretty woman who is being tortured. Yeah. You know, which, you know, no thanks. No, exactly. So ultimately, it sounds like we're both, well, no, I don't know. I am falling down on the 
more or less no for scary. I'm a yes, but a particular type of scary book. I think the ones that make the reader work are really, really effective. So you give me a Shirley Jackson. Yes, well, please do put any recommendations in the comments um, yeah. if you have any. Um, also, I should have said this at the beginning, I meant to say it in the opening bit. Um, just the antithesis of this completely, Mary got in touch with me um, and told me, do you know there's going to be a musical of one of Barbara Pym's books? I didn't uh, know this. What, like a stage musical? Yes, it's called The Mirror Never Lies, um, and apparently it's based on Sweet Dove Died. Oh, I haven't okay. read that one. I have read it, um, so I might go and see that. Um, it's in oh. Hampstead, I think. Oh, well, yeah. let me know and I'll come with you. Yeah. Um, I need to work out. I didn't click on the link Mary sent, actually. I just read her email. So, so it might be, and based on that, it might be based on Pim's life. But, and I have no idea when it's on. It might have already happened. <laughs> but I will <laughs> look it up and get back to you. Um, so, yes, there's no link between that and what comes next. But let's go on to our second section. <laughs> yes. So, um, do you want me to start seeing as I've picked it? Um, yes, I'm more than happy to describe the Victorian stage long once we get to that point, but please do start. Okay. Um, well, this could end up being a spectacularly poor choice of mine, but um, we were talking about comparing Persephone books, and I thought, well, you know, there are plenty of obvious comparison points amongst many, but I do think that the idea of female entrapment in both The Homemaker and uh, Victorian Shays Long are really interesting, and I thought it would be good for us to discuss them, um, seeing as they're both sort of set in a similar period, aren't they? Um, Ish. Yes. Homemakers yes. 1920s, I think, isn't it? Yes, I think the, the Victorian Chase Long might be 1950s. Oh, really? Oh, yes, no, of course you're right. Yes. Yes. But, um, well, you know, 20th century, whatever. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> and um, they're both. They're <laughs> She's both, floundering. Yeah, it's already, it's all going down. Um, they're both interesting in the, in the role of women within the home and in very different ways because. Certainly, I remember when I first read The Homemaker, it was completely not what I expected from the title. Um, and about both these women being trapped within the roles that are expected of them and whether they enjoy those roles or not. So, um, do you want me to do The Homemaker then and then you can do the Victorian shows long? Go for it. Okay, so The Homemaker is set in um, rural New England in, I think, the probably should have looked this up for you. <laughs> never never like to prepare too much. No, we don't want to be too if ever. <laughs> um, So, and it is the story of a family of a wife and a husband and their two children and the husband goes out to work and the woman stays at home with the children as is expected. But she is absolutely rubbish at um, being a, at home. She doesn't enjoy it. She's not very good at it. She can't cook. She can't clean. And her husband is, um, and she's very short-tempered with the children. She finds it very frustrating having to you know, be around children all day. Um, and her husband is actually far better with, with the children and also with cooking and sort of housework than, than she is. But kind of stuck in that expectation of the man goes to work and the woman doesn't, they, they don't ever really have an opportunity to, to talk about it or to express the fact that they're both frustrated in their roles. And then when um, the husband gets injured, he has to stay at home and uh, the wife has to go out to work. There is a very interesting change in how things are in the house. And then it's like the conflict of of once he's better, um, 
will they be able to maintain that? And then if they do, then what will the treatment of um, the woman and the man be like if they have to revert, if they choose to reverse roles? So that's the main crux of the story. And Simon, do you want to do the Victorian Tuesday song? Certainly. So I actually just finished rereading it moments before we started recording. Um, so it's fresh in my mind. It's, um, as I say, set in the 1950s. The main character in is called Melanie. Uh, she is... Um, just had a baby and she's recovering from TB, um, which apparently in the 50s was seemed to be more or less like the common cold in terms of recovering. No one seems particularly worried, um, <laughs> which you know, isn't quite what I thought TB was like at any point, but sure. Um, um, and she uh, has previously bought this Victorian chaise lung that she has um, in a a room that's never used because as soon as she got it, she got ill, as well, I think, or something like that. Um, the doctor recommends that she spends time in that room before, when the sun's there, so she goes through and lies on this Victorian chaise lung for the first time and falls asleep. When she wakes up, um, she is quite confused by the room and the people she's seeing. It gradually emerges that she is in the body of someone called Millie, and she is living in 1860, I think, something like that. Um, and... Yeah, she is also, she's, or she's much more ill there. She's been ill for a long time without the modern understanding of how to be, to recover from, um, TV. And yes, there's some other mysterious things going on, um, with the woman in the room. Who is she? What relation is she? Um, who are these different men coming in? What's, what's gone wrong? We'll, we'll, we'll probably give some spoilers if we go on. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's a really good book. What interests me, I re- just also reread P.D. James's introduction to it in the Persephone edition, um, where she called, constantly talks about it being terrifying. And I remember the first time I read it, and this time, I did not find it terrifying. Um, did you? Um, I found it very um, incredibly frustrating as a book, and I didn't actually enjoy it. Um, and I don't, so I don't have a copy of it anymore because I think I got rid of it. I found her passivity very, very frustrating. And I just kept thinking, for goodness sake, you know, just get up and sort yourself out. And I found <laughs> I, I couldn't get past it. I couldn't believe that she would um, be treated in that way or be allowed to be treated in that way. And I suppose that's the, that's Marguerite Lasky's whole point. Um, but yes, her complete lack of, like, she's just lying there and she can't do anything. I just was, yeah, I just wanted to shake her. Playing devil's advocate, she is in the final stages of TB. <laughs> so that might be why. Um, but even though, even in the 1950s bit, though, where she's just oh, okay. like a passive, silly little wife, and she's just quite happy to be a good girl and stay in bed and do as she's told and see baby when she's told to and things. And I just couldn't bear it. Right, well, um, I didn't have that reaction, actually, to her as a character. I... I because I, I think she was a bit spoiled in, probably in both of them, but particularly in the modern one. But, um, I don't know, I just found that quite realistic in terms of, she wasn't unnaturally, I didn't find her unnaturally passive, I just found her that she was, as you sort of suggested in your intro, she was playing the role that was expected of her. Mm. Of, you know, hand, ba- hand baby over to, to nurse, see her occasionally. Which I imagine even by 1952 was getting a bit dated. <laughs> or 1950, whenever it was. Because I think this is, this is when my parents were born. <laughs> around then. I'm sure yeah, that my, so my, mine too, so. yeah, 
I'm sure that they didn't. Well, they definitely didn't have you know nurses looking after them. But, no. Um, but let's pretend they did. Let's pretend that perhaps in the circles, Marguerite Lasky moved in. That was more common. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so I, I, I didn't find it terrifying. I found it really interesting how how Marguerite Lasky um, writes about the. I guess the fantastic. If this had been a few years earlier, it would have been really useful for my thesis. Where I looked at it as we talked about it ago. This is annoying. But, um, come on, Lassie, you could have thought of this, you know, seven years earlier, and it would have been perfect. As we talked about when we did the Love Child and Lolly Willows, there are different ways of doing the these um, introduction of the fantastic mm. into a book. And I find that I really admired the way that she did the initial disorientation, sort of, and the sort of gradual coming to terms. Or at least not kind of terms, but sort of realizing what was going on, and then the way she did the whole merging, so she could think things that modern-day Melanie would think, but she couldn't say things unless Millie would think them. So she, at one point, she tries to say there are refrigerators, aeroplanes, and something else, and she can only think, she can only vocalize the uh, horseless carriages and machines, and you know, it's, yeah, it was, oh yeah, it was a really interesting way that. Um, she did it in a really simple book in some ways because it's, I mean it's incredibly short. Yeah, it's ninety-nine it's a pages. Better, really, isn't it? It is, or even just a long short story, perhaps. I don't know. Um, which is interesting because with the time shift thing, she could have done huge amounts more, but because she's got this entrapment, because she's stuck in that room and in that position, I think it works well that she mm. only has that quite limited um, encounter with that world and limited. Um, realization of what's going on around her perhaps yeah but i think yeah it's a very claustrophobic book and which obviously reflects how she feels and she is literally she's trapped in this body but she's also trapped within this world that thinks that women should be treated like children essentially and i think what i found what i think is scary about it is the ending which i won't say but when yes the ending did confuse me though (laughs) so maybe we should um, I don't know. Can we? Can we? Shall Can we? we? Right, okay, guys. This is the usual, like fingers and ears for a few <laughs> moments. If you don't, know. <laughs> uh, here we go. Did she die? <laughs> well, my understanding was that she was stuck there. Yes, and she would die, and there was nothing she could. Because it just has. Let me see. Um, just opening up my copy. Um, it ends with something like shimmering an instant in the fading vision. At last, there was nothing but darkness. In the darkness, the ecstasy, and after the ecstasy, death and life. What does that mean? Yeah, so I took it that she died, like she couldn't get back, and so she was stuck there and she died. But then there's like, well, so what happens to her in in the future? Like, I don't know. So I was scared because I thought that means that she's she's been killed. Yeah, it did seem. Well, that's, yeah, it certainly seems a lot, because I remember not know, knowing, but it does seem a lot starker mm. than I remembered it being, and quite beautiful um, to be written, and particularly since the opening line is, in, in the modern day, something along the lines of, please just assure me I'm not going to die, and the doctor's like, no, you're fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it is, I don't know, it's quite an interesting way of dealing with it, because it, I don't know, that, that sort of genre of book, you expect them to come back and be fine, or like the last scene is, is her... Her husband like, oh, you've been asleep for a while and having wondering whether or not it all happened or something. And she, you know, finds a key in her pocket. Turns out it was all true. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is much more like, no, she's gone, and that's. I don't know. I just still don't know if I find it scary, but it's it is indicative of the um, 
melancholy of the book, I guess. Yeah, and the fact that she dies is like, you know, she has this in, uh, kind of a very feminist thing about how these, you know, her Melanie as a person has is dead because she doesn't she isn't really a person even in 1950 she's not a real fully fleshed person she's her husband's you know child essentially to be looked after and petted and told to shut up and go in a room and you know you're allowed to look at your child then and then you're not allowed to look at your child and she's so sort of passive and has seems to have no will of her own the fact that she's ill and she's sort of in bed is kind of you know I don't know, I just found it's kind of a weakness. Like, there's just a general, there is a weakness about her. There is no strength to her because she doesn't, ha- she's never been taught how to have a sense of self. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they are both in quite different ways. Well, actually, they're not even that, not that different. They are both feminist books, aren't they? Mm. Um, and feminist through story rather than just through polemic, I think. Yes. Yeah, showing us what it's like in these situations. And I think The Homemaker, as you described, it's... It is just this really um, ahead of its time, brilliant way of showing not only how the patriarchy affects women, but how it affects men. Like the mm. idea, and I think still ahead of its time in terms of a man being the chief um, caregiver to a child, um, because that's still stigmatised today. Uh, and, oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I think obviously there's still a lot of issues with women in, in the workplace in terms of salary and getting opportunities and things, but no. There's very few people now who would be shocked at the idea of a mother having a job at all. Mm. Um, well, I, well, I hope that's true. Perhaps it's not. But, um, but yes, certainly at the time, very ahead of its time in terms of working out what her priorities are and, and w- that it's okay that her priority isn't necessarily spending every waking moment with her children. Yeah, and I think that's what I really like about it is the fact that she actually becomes a better mother when she is able to be fulfilled through her work mm. and the fact that Dorothy Campbell Fisher shows that actually it's very good for women um, to have something outside of the home because it doesn't, you know, this traditional idea that if a woman does anything outside of the home, it means that she's neglectful. It means that she's not a good parent. It means that the house will fall apart without yeah, her. Yeah. Actually, you know, by her going to work, she actually saves her family. She makes them better because she is a better person and, and for having other outlets and being able to fulfill herself as an individual makes her able to give her best self to her children. And the fact here that, you know, her husband is very, very caring and very good with children and all of those natural skills, but he hasn't been allowed to, to show any of those because he's had to go to work. And that I, and I love how she's daring enough to show, well, actually, a lot of men are mm, not yeah. really into going to work. A lot of men would make wonderful homemakers and all of the fear that they have about, well, what will people say? We can't possibly, we're going to have to keep pretending that he's ill. Um, and that idea of the reason why you can't do these things is not because you feel that you can't do them, but because society judges people based on these roles. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think that um, the scene that's definitely stayed with me in that book, and I haven't read it for... 10 years or so more, um, is a scene where he's debating, oh, when he's going to wash the teddy bear. Yes, I remember yeah, that. Yes. And in fact, when I said, mentioned it to someone earlier today, they just said, oh, was that the book with the teddy bear? <laughs> 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 um, for those who haven't read it, he's, he's going to put the teddy bear in the wash and realises um, that his son is looking at him in sort of complete terror that his bear might be destroyed. It can't be, obviously not a washing machine, sorry. No, 
washed in some way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but a, a process that might, you know, might make him fall apart or something. And the son, he sees his son being completely powerless and just terrified and suddenly realizes the responsibility a parent has over the happiness of their child in something that, even in situations where they're not really thinking it's a big deal. Um, obviously neither of us are parents. <laughs> so, um, this is perhaps would strike deeper with people who are, or perhaps, you know, people who are so over this, this sort of discussion that they just, <laughs> like, sure, whatever, just, you know, just need to watch. <laughs> but I found that really moving. Yeah. Um, and it's not this sort of, um, playful moral tale or something where he is instantly the perfect home, homemaker and everyone's happy. It does, it does have these moments of, uncertainty and these moments of self-discovery and all those sorts of things and the same for um what's the name evangeline in in the shop um it's not just you know cinderella-esque everything goes fine (laughs) note to self reread cinderella everything doesn't go fine (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i mean (laughs) yeah there's that you know she feels guilty she doesn't know if she's made the right decisions and um you know she is the kind and she also feels very guilty that she's not good at being at home and I think that's also something that's very interesting and it's ingrained into women from from childhood, really, that, you know, you you should enjoy being with children. You should enjoy mm-hmm. looking after your house. You should enjoy keeping things tidy. And if you don't enjoy those things, you're, you're made to feel like you're not normal. There's something wrong with you. Um, and that you see that in her at the beginning. She's so, she's trying to, to bend her natural inclinations to fit what she feels she should be doing and that feeling of you know I'm on I'm not normal this isn't okay for me to, to feel like this and then when she if finally gets the chance to work this is what I'm good at mm-hmm. this is what makes me happy and and when her gradual realization that that's actually okay is so freeing for her but that idea of her being so trapped in this belief that She's a bad person because she's not doesn't enjoy the things that she's supposed to enjoy. Um, it's so powerful, and I and what's disturbing really is that book was written years ago, and what's changed really? Yeah, certainly not enough. Okay. Um, I mean, as we've learnt in the in the past week, yeah. um, you can be the most qualified woman for the job, but if, uh, if there's another, if there's a shouty man. <laughs> then, yeah. <laughs> oh, you've, uh, you've lost it. So yeah. I think, you know, that's very true. And I think the homemaker actually should be, I would love to see it on school curriculums. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the power is in your hands, Rachel. Ah, so it is. <laughs> um, For at least one. Yes. <laughs> um, I think it is something that is, that people do need to talk about more. This idea that we are still very much trapped in gender roles. And, this whole talk about, oh, well, it's natural for people to, to do this. It's natural for women to feel maternal. It's natural for women. It's not, you know, yes, there obviously is an element of nature nurture in people, but there is also that element in men as well. And I think it's about time that we allowed people to, to write for them rather than choices that they feel they should make because otherwise they're going to be judged. I think what's really interesting with the homemaker, as we said, is that it, it, um, and perhaps a contrast with Victorian Shades Long is that, um, the homemaker is about what's wrong with society at that time in terms of gender roles and, and this anomaly couple trying to fix that for themselves. Um, as we, as we've said, but the Victorian Shades Long seems to be mostly about what was wrong in 1860. 
um, of the 1860s. Um, it doesn't seem to question that much what's going on in the 1950s. It's more about looking back and, and saying this is what was, this is what women have suffered over time, whereas the homemaker is more about looking forward to seeing what could change. Mm. Um, which seems slightly, biz- I don't know, maybe bizarre in, in the 1950s to think, in, in some ways it seems to suggest that they, the problem is fixed in the present and it's only the past that was wrong. I do, or do you think I'm misreading what, what Lasky was doing? Well, the thing is, I found it quite confusing because the treatment of Melanie in the 1950s, the way her husband speaks to her, I found infuriating. Um, but she doesn't seem to to question it or not enjoy it. Um, and I wondered, I think my reading of it is is actually that she wants to show that not much has changed. Oh, okay. Because That's Melanie is essentially not that different, is she, to Millie, when you think about it? Yeah, it's... Certainly in terms of personality, they seem quite similar. Maybe, uh, it's, I do find it slightly confusing as to if, if there is a message, what it is, but perhaps, perhaps you're right that it is just, yeah, that, hmm. Cause thinking about Margaret Chesky, I find it hard to think that she would genuinely think the 1950s that everything Well, exactly, happening. yes, yeah, but it just constantly seems in the book like that's, that's, you know, her route to escape and her route to everything being fine is if she can get back to where she was. Or maybe that's just the, her delusion. Maybe and, that's as the point. Saying, Maybe yeah. the fact that she doesn't go back is because, you know, the fact is there is no back to go to because they are essentially the same place, if you like. Hmm. There is a bit where she talks about how sins change like fashion changes, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Particularly since I'm not sure how much um, sex outside of marriage was widely accepted in the 50s, but sure, maybe it was. Um, well, I think everybody I... was doing it, but whether it was yes. accepted or not, it's a different matter. Well, true, yes. I thought I thought that was <clears throat> was really clever storytelling in the book when you, the way that she re- reveals things to the reader without saying them, mm. in terms of who the people are that that um, Millie sees and what Millie has been up to. I won't spoil everything. We've already spoiled the ending, so I'll let, leave some other surprises in there. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just really clever storytelling. I need to reread it. Yeah, I think I completely get where you're coming from that it is, that she's can be an irritating character. I think what interests me more is yeah, it's more to do with how she tells the story. And I think her writing is lovely. It's it, it treads that line between sort of poetic and and poetic. I think she does it really well. That it's not too much. Um, yeah, I read it when I was. I mean, I must have been in my a teenager or just twenty or something like that. And perhaps I didn't. I was in that phase when you know we were at university and you feel passionate about everything. And um, it probably annoyed me. It's one of those across the room. Um, oh, right. <laughs> I probably could look at it, read it now from a more measured perspective. So I'll, I'll give it another go. Have you read um, anything else by either of these authors? I read, I think, all of Marganita Lasky. Oh, um, really? Yeah, and all of her books are so different, aren't they? Um, yeah, I've only read three of them. But yes, those were very different. And... Um, Dorothy Campbell Fisher, yes, I have read another couple of hers. The Brimming Cup is excellent. Okay. Um, that's a, that was a Virago. That was actually the first book I read. It's how I discovered Persephone. One of the things I how I discovered Persephone was that I had this Virago book of Dorothy Campbell Fisher, and then I googled it, and then I saw The Homemaker. Um, uh, yeah, and um, what else? There's, I read something called Seasoned Timber. Because in America, when I lived in New York, her books are quite uh, second-hand. Her books are quite easy to find in second-hand bookshops. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
but not so easy to get hold of over here, unfortunately. Yeah, I've, I have had the Brim, Brimming Cup and Her Son's Wife. Yes, the Her Son's for, Wife. I've read yeah. that as well. That's very good. Uh, so yes, I've had them for probably more than a decade, and I've not read not read those yet. <laughs> um, They're very good. The Brimming, the Brimming Cup, I would say, is actually better than The Homemaker. Oh, really? Uh, um, I'll have to dig it out. I think it's in Somerset. But, um, Quickly have a look. I think, because mm. um, the editions I've got are the old Faragos. They might be available print on demand, but I'm not sure. Um, so I wonder if, because um, sometimes the Virago choose not to um, keep them in print, and I don't know whether Persephone might take it over if they do. Maybe, yes, they've done quite a few Lasky's, but um, yes, only that one by her, by her, I think. Which, uh, well, I hadn't realised when we chased these, is that these are actually books six and seven in the Persephone um, catalogue. So, oh, wow, there we yeah, are. Come, yeah, right next to each other. Um, I can't see I think, them on Amazon, these books, so I think maybe they have gone out of print. Yeah, the copies I've got are those old Jonathan yeah. Cape ones um, from the 30s, I think. Or maybe, no, let's move it later. But, um, yes, I haven't, I didn't, yeah, I haven't seen them very often in, in Braga, but I do see them relatively often, uh, actually under Dor- Dorothy Canfield rather than Dorothy Canfield Fisher. So I think they were all originally published as being by Dorothy Canfield. Um, so it might be easier to find if you search for that way online, dear listener. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I read... So I've read The Victorian Chase Long, uh, Little Boy Lost, and I read Margarita Velasquez's first book, friend, or Haley, who blogged it Desperate Reader, gave it to me. I'm stalling because I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> um, Love on the Super Tax. Oh, yes, yes, I've read that. Yes, which I thought was great fun. I've not read Love on the Doll by Walter Greenwood, that I presume it is a repository, but never mind. No, I enjoyed that. That was funny. And um, I really, really like... Um, what, what's the one set during the war? Can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, is that Little Boy Lost? No, oh, Little Boy Lost is unbelievably good, isn't it? Um, I, I loved it, I can't remember anything about it. It's amazing, um, very moving, and I really love the other one they did recently that was published under a different name initially. Um, with Grand Music? Yes, to love with, with Grand Music, that's amazing. And again, a very interesting female character, lots of debate can be had there. We will have to go and read it. Yeah, and the village is good as well. Well done, asking. Mm. Um, all sorts. So, yeah, do let us know um, if there are books for these authors we should be looking out for. Yeah. But we've come to the crux where we have to make our decision. I think I know what you're going to decide. Yes, the homemaker mm. for me. Um, and I love them both, but I think I'm also going to go with the homemaker. Oh. Yeah. Good. Um, even though it has been many years since I read it, so let's hope I still like it. But it was one of the first Persephone's I read, um, and Karen, who wrote the introduction to it, is in an online book group I'm, I'm in, so it's always nice to um, have that connection. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yes, that was fun, two Persephone's. I think I, this all came out because I sent Rachel a long list of Persephone's that I had read and remembered, which is not the same as the ones I've read, <laughs> um, and said we should talk about something from here. So we may well do more Persephone's in future episodes, but... We have not yet planned what we're doing in the next episode. No, but we will at some point. Some point before it starts recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very nice to be back, everyone. Sorry for the bit of a delay. Yes. Um, and to, to our American listeners, stay strong. <laughs> yeah, we commiserate with you fully. And um, together we will move on to a better future. I do believe that. 
Yes, love still trumps hate, everyone. Yes, <laughs> and, and hopefully there will be impeachment soon. That's what yes. I'm holding on to. <laughs> <laughs> or we will get bored and quit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, books are a great healer. <laughs> yes, they are. Oh, uh, dear. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.